0: Open my lips, O Lord, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise, amen. Amen. It lives in a glass house in Philadelphia, not far from Independence Hall. Two million visitors come from all over the world to see it every year. The Liberty Bell holds court every day. This famous American icon was made in the 1750s and weighs 2,000 pounds. The bell tolled after the battles of Lexington and Concord in 1775, and it rang again after the Declaration of Independence was read for the first time in July 1776. The inscription on the bell comes straight from the Book of Leviticus. It says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. After the bell rang with joy in 1776, life got harder. The following year, the British occupied Philadelphia. The people hid the bell for fear it could be melted down into a cannon and turned on them. So the Liberty Bell... Set under the floorboards of a church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, for the duration of the war. Then it was proudly hung again, and it rang each year in Philadelphia on the 4th of July and on Washington's birthday. The story does not end there, though. In the 1830s, the Liberty Bell became a powerful symbol of the abolitionist movement, Americans fighting to end slavery pointed out the words on the bell that proclaimed liberty unto all the inhabitants of the country. The Liberty Bell would become synonymous with abolition. But in the 1840s, a crack appeared. It was repaired, but when it cracked again, the Liberty Bell was silenced forever. And to this day, no one knows what caused that crack but it did occur as the horror of slavery was growing. And it's easy to see the crack in the Liberty Bell as a symbol of the loss of liberty for people of color. The bell has been a symbol of unity too. At the end of the 19th century, it traveled around the country to expositions and fairs to heal the divisions of the Civil War. It reminded people of an earlier time when Americans fought together rather than fighting each other, they fought together for independence. Now, the Liberty Bell has moved into its glass digs in Philadelphia and hangs from its original wooden yoke. You can see it there anytime, and also on your money, and on your postage stamps. The Liberty Bell, in its eloquent silence, proclaims the independence that we cherish and the freedom we will celebrate this week on the 4th of July. In many ways, this national symbol serves as a mirror for us, proclaiming our nation's endurance and our greatest hopes and yet, bearing the scar of our moral failure as well. That crack, that crack keeps us honest, lest we think our work is finished. The crack in the Liberty Bell reminds us of the legacy of racism that haunts our nation today. It names the enormous economic disparity between the races in this country. It tolls silently for lynchings. It recalls African-American veterans who were denied benefits under the GI Bill after World War II. It nags us about federal housing policies that have systematically discriminated against African-Americans in our lifetime. And it won't let us forget the disproportionate incarceration rates among people of color in this country. This week, we acknowledge our many blessings and liberties, even as we confess that there is a crack in the Liberty Bell. We see the crack growing now in the divisions in this country, especially around immigration, We are divided about who gets to be an inhabitant of the land. Now our fears and prejudices are being calcified into executive orders and policies. This translates into abandoned refugees, to families divided across borders, to produce left rotting in our nation's fields for lack of workers. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Our forebears knew their Bible, and they enshrined these words for us. Now, you know that the Bible is a library, a library filled with different books preserved over the centuries. And each of these books gives insight into how God's people have tried to live out their faith, Today, we hear that disturbing story of the almost sacrifice of Isaac. It reflects an ancient belief that the gods demand what is most precious to us in a sort of cruel divine economy. But it is not so with our God who stops Abraham and saves Isaac. Our God gives us gifts to celebrate and share with the whole community just as Isaac becomes a blessing to his people. Isaac is one of the early nomadic leaders of our faith. He crossed Middle Eastern borders with his people, looking for security and good land. Fortunately, the wise rabbis in the 6th century BCE who assembled the biblical text in written form included Isaac's childhood story, Because it says once and for all in the first chapter of our Bible that our God, unlike all those other gods in that world, our God does not make cruel demands of us. God desires life for us, not death. And this begins the saga of God's people who experience disruption and transience as they wander in search of a new home. Fast forward now many generations and many pages in the Bible, and we see how hospitality becomes the bedrock of our faith. God instructs Moses, "'You shall love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt.'" Hospitality was a matter of life and death in the desert and is enshrined in the Torah, the Jewish law. This is why Jesus teaches about welcome in the gospel today. After all, he is a rabbi with deep knowledge of the Torah, and he not only reinforces the tradition of welcoming the stranger, he raises the bar higher. You will have noticed that Jesus does this a lot. He points to insignificant people standing nearby. Perhaps they are his disciples who included women, or perhaps they are just children. Women and children had the same legal status as cattle in the ancient world. They were property. Now, Jesus says, if you welcome them, you're welcoming me second-class non-citizen is raised to the level of the prophet and the rabbi in the words of Jesus. So buckle your seatbelts. This kind of teaching always gets Jesus in trouble. We will see it as we keep reading. He was warned, and yet he persisted. What he is saying was very controversial, just as it is today. Our national conversation around immigration is complicated. There is the pressing issue of security as rogue incidents of terrorism occur in Western countries. There are violent extremists around the world who aim to kill the innocent. But there are also hundreds of thousands of refugees languishing in camps, waiting for a second chance at life. And there is the very real presence of peaceful, productive people living among us who fled from oppression in their home countries. I once attended a hearing in a small town near a church I served in Delaware. The town council wanted to empower the local police to act as immigration enforcers. The police didn't want this job. The local Mexican immigrants were their neighbors who had turned a run-down area into a nice place for their children and families. And besides, the police loved eating at the Mexican restaurant. <laughs> On this particular night, the town council sat stone-faced in front of a crowded room. They themselves were first-generation descendants of 20th century refugees from Europe. The testimony dragged on for hours as people argued for and argued against the enforcement measure. It was hot and it was getting late. Finally, a very small, weathered Latino man came up to the microphone. He approached at great risk, exposing his undocumented status to everyone in the room. He waited shyly as a translator, was found to assist him. And then he spoke one sentence in a very soft voice. I came over the border because my children were starving. And he turned and walked out the door. There was silence. The air seemed to leave the room, and the question was called, and the motion was defeated by one vote. We all went out into the night temporarily relieved, but knowing the debate would happen over and over again. And so it does. Who gets to belong? Who gets to be an inhabitant of the land thereof? We do not make national policies in the church, but we speak out of our faith tradition as policy is being created. The teachings of Jesus shape our response to the world around us, and it's clear from Jesus that we should always err on the side of hospitality. This week, there will be many inspiring stories to tell as we celebrate July 4th, Independence Day. Our nation's history is filled with men and women who fought and gave up a lot for the liberties we now enjoy. But I especially love that story of the Liberty Bell stashed under the floorboards of a church. The church protects the dream of freedom for all inhabitants of the land, not just some, but everyone. The church is where God's dream of hospitality and mercy is preserved and proclaimed in every generation. This is where we live by faith like our ancestors. This is where we strive to follow Jesus' teachings to welcome even the most insignificant into our midst. The church is where our hearts get stretched. And this is where every time we walk out that door, God's word calls out and says, Remember, you shall love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. So let's celebrate our freedom and many blessings on the 4th of July this week. Let freedom ring. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof every last one of us. Amen.